Welcome to Humans of CX, a podcast powered by OzoneTel. We share the latest insights in customer experience from industry experts to help you humanize your approach, placing empathy at the center of the customer experience. I'm your host, Todd Vecca. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Humans of CX. I'm your host, Todd Vecca. And today I'm so excited to be here with the Joey Coleman, founder, chief experience composer at Design Symphony, co-host of Experience This Podcast, best-selling author, Notre Dame guy. Joey, thank you so much for being here. Tell us what's going on and a little bit about your background for the folks at home. Oh, well, Todd, thanks so much for the kind introduction. And thanks to everybody who's listening in today. Really appreciate it. Let's see, what can I say? The easiest way to put this probably is for the last 20 years, I have spent all day, every day teaching companies how to keep their customers and how to keep their employees. And that shows up in books, that shows up in presentations, in keynotes, in workshops and consulting engagements. And what we found is that most companies spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to get a customer, right? They do great marketing, they do great sales. And I'm not anti-marketing and sales. What I'm against is thinking that your job ends then. And I know we've got a lot of customer experience and customer service professionals listening in, and you all get this, but hopefully from our conversation today, maybe you get a nugget or two that you can take back to the folks in your office that are not in the customer service function or the customer experience function to help further convince them that the work you're doing really matters and really impacts the bottom line and is really something that deserves a little more focus. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely love that. And how do you define the difference between customer service and the customer experience? Well, I think a lot of folks use those two phrases interchangeably, which I totally understand. I see them as being pretty distinct, though. I see customer service as being that assistance and advice that we provide to the people who use or buy our products or services. So it's taking care of folks often when something goes wrong or when they have a problem or they have an issue. Whereas customer experience is how our customers perceive all of their interactions with us. Right. So it's a little bit more of a proactive approach as opposed to a reactive approach. It's what are we doing to design the type of remarkable interactions they're going to keep our customers coming back for more. Yeah. So what does good customer experience look like? Is it one of those things where you know it when you see it or is it just when nothing goes wrong, then maybe it's a good, you know, how do the folks at home know what does this really look like when it's working well? Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Todd. You know, and it's funny, I'm a recovering attorney. So forgive me, everyone. Don't hold that against me. The first step's admitting you have a problem, right? So I've seen the error of my ways and followed the subsequent steps to no longer be an attorney, a practicing lawyer anyway. The whole idea of you know it when you'll see it is really interesting because that comes from a famous Supreme Court case, right? And they were talking about a more adult subject and saying, I don't know what it is. I don't know how to define it, but I know it when I see it. The problem with applying that kind of thinking to customer experience, I think, is that it gives organizations permission not to be strategic or tactical in their execution, and instead just to say like, well, as long as they feel good, it'll be okay. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be trying to make our customers feel good. I think we should. I think customer experience is very much an emotional reaction that our audiences, the people we serve, have when they interact with us. But I think it's bigger than that. And I think from an organizational point of view, we should be looking at customer experience as something we can do that's not only the right thing to do, is not only a thing that's going to make our customers feel better, 
but it's something that is going to dramatically improve our in-house morale and our bottom line. And those are two things that every organization I've ever dealt with anywhere in the world cares about, well, how are we operating and are we making enough money to keep operating? And it's like, okay, great. So if those things actually are priorities, the fastest way to see improvement in both of those categories is to pay more attention to your customers. Yeah. So there's a little bit of overlap with this question, but how do we take that a step further to customer retention? Because I know you're passionate about that subject. Now that we have that experience, we built it the right way. How do we make sure we're keeping our customers in that model? Yeah, it's a great question, Todd. I think there's the short glib answer, and then I'll extend on it. I mean, the short glib answer is the only reason people stay is because they're enjoying the experience. Let's be candid. As soon as it becomes clear that the experience they're having is not pleasurable enough, they will leave. Tony Robbins has this great quote, you know, people don't change until the pain of not changing becomes greater than the pain of changing. Okay, so changing requires pain. It's going to always require pain. The reason most people stay with their bank is not because they love their bank. It's because the thought of having to go open a different bank account and get all new checks, all new ATM cards, redirect your direct deposit, reset up all your auto bill pay, get everything figured out, figure out where you're going to drive to to actually get cash. Do you even need an ATM? What's it going to be? The pain of doing all of that feels so unbelievably onerous that we stay with banks that we don't like, that have ridiculous fees, that don't seem to care about us as an individual customer, right? This applies in every business and every industry. So many businesses, their retention strategy is, we're going to make it so painful for you to leave that you're going to have to stay. This is where we see multi-year contracts. We see huge penalties for if you leave. And that's fine. And I understand historically why people did that. The problem is the customer is changing. When I can go to HBO or Disney or Netflix and subscribe on a monthly basis for less than $10, your multi-year contract that locks me in forever starts to look really bad. And even if you're in a B2B environment, because I know some of our B2B friends are listening going, Joey, that's unfair. We're B2B. We're different. Folks, it's H to H. It's human to human. All of the people you are doing business with as a B2B are actually consumers in the real world as well. They have those subscriptions to Netflix or Hulu or whatever it may be. And I'm just picking the the entertainment subscriptions because stop and think how that has changed the expectation in the customer's mind about what paying something should feel like. We don't talk about annual subscription rates anymore. We talk about, well, how much will it cost me this month? Your customers are the same way. And if you're still thinking in this multi-year, long-term draconian contract approach, or we're going to make you fill out so much paperwork that by the time you're done, you're just going to have to stay with us because you don't want to fill out that paperwork again, insurance companies, doctors, lawyers, accountants, I'm looking at you, friends. That is not a sustainable business model in 2022 and beyond. I understand how you got here. I'm not judging how you got here. I'm just asking you, have you looked in the mirror and said, Is this the thing that we think is going to take us the next 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? My gut instinct is if you have an honest assessment, the answer would be no. Yeah. And you triggered something personal with me because I still have cable TV and I'll be quite honest with you. I don't want to call them. I feel like I've tried it before. And then there's some either like literally you can't, you know, you can't yet 
or they try to hook me with something. Oh, have you seen the new Game of Thrones? Or it's just, it's painful. Right. So I make excuses to not call them. And then I'm still paying a lot of money for TV that I don't watch. It's a great example. Let's take it to the employee retention side now, because there's this new trend, whether it's a buzzword or very real or somewhere in between of the silent quitting or the quiet quitting, right? We've come out of the great resignation. And now we just have folks that are just going to show up and take the paycheck because they work at home and nobody sees them. But that's really bad. And talk to us about that a little bit and how we can maybe prevent that. Yeah, well, Todd, this is a topic that is near and dear to my heart, mostly because less than 24 hours ago, I submitted the manuscript for my next book, which comes out next year, and it's called Never Lose an Employee Again. And it's all about what can you do to increase employee engagement and employee loyalty and employee retention. I think what's interesting about the quiet quitting phrase, and I say this respectfully because it's a great term of art. You say quiet quitting, people are like, ooh, what's that? I want to learn more. This is not new. This is something that's been going on in our society and getting worse every year for decades. It's just, we used to call it employee engagement. Now we're calling it quiet quitting. It's the same thing. Quiet quitting doesn't mean they're actually quitting. It means they're at work and they're not engaged. They're just dialing it in. That's been going on for decades. So this isn't some newfangled thing that we've got to figure out. It's something that's been a problem for a long time that, by the way, we've got to figure out. We need to think more strategically about the experiences we're creating for our employees. Now, I understand and appreciate being a business owner and trying to figure out, well, how do I create a more engaging environment for my employees? How do I keep my employees here long term? How do we continue to grow and develop and work with them? I get that it's challenging. But friends, if it wasn't challenging, everyone would do it. You would have even more competitors than you already have, and you wouldn't have the joy of being the business owner or the entrepreneur or the leader of the department or the division that you're working on. In the same way that we posit that everyone is part of customer experience, and I think everybody listening who's a CX professional is going to agree with that, I would posit that everyone in your organization is part of employee experience as well. There's two reasons why people quit their jobs. Number one, they don't see a vision for themselves going forward with that organization. And or number two, and they're very closely intertwined, their relationship with the person they report to at work isn't supportive enough. They don't feel like they matter. They don't feel seen. They don't feel heard. When those two things combine, you don't like where you're at. You don't like who you work for. And you don't see a vision for yourself in the future. You're going to quiet quit until you find a job where you can go actually quit. And then you're going to go work for someone else who makes you feel seen, makes you feel heard, makes you feel appreciated. And so many business owners are like, oh, I just don't want to pay them more. We've got to pay them more. Most recent research on this just came out about a month ago. They interviewed 230,000 people who quit. Okay, 230,000 people. I don't know, Todd, how much you pay attention to like statistical relevancy of surveys. Normally in the customer experience or the employee experience space, they're like, we interviewed 1,022 people or we interviewed 500 customers that said, no, this is 230,000 people. And they asked them, why did you quit? Okay, why did you leave? Most business owners think, oh, it's because they wanted more money. You know where more money fell in? What percentage actually said that? 9%. 9%. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't pay attention to that 9%, but I'm more interested in what's happening with the 91% who quit for a reason other than compensation. Number one on that list, 23% of all people who quit, career advancement. They didn't see an obvious path forward for them. 
And so I think as business leaders, the opportunity we have, and this applies to not just the head of HR or the CEO, this applies to the person that's running the call center. This applies to the person who's leading the team of customer service experts. Are you talking with your team regularly about what their goals are? You're talking to them plenty about the organizational goals. Okay, you have a meeting every Monday, kick it off. What are our rocks for the quarter? What are the little things we're working on? What are our strategic plans? That's great. And that's important. But are you having conversations with them where you say, you know, you've been with this company for 18 months. 18 months from now, where do you want to be? Do you want to be in the same role? Do you want to be in a different role? Are you hoping to make more money? Are you hoping to have a promotion? Are you hoping to have more responsibility? Give me an idea of what your vision is. Most employees, if asked that question, you'll have to put them back in the chair because they will pass out. They will fall out of the chair because they've never had a boss that cared enough to ask that question. And where it gets really interesting is when you say, great, now that I know what your goals are, let's work together to help you achieve those goals. Let's figure out how we can do that. Let's look at budgets. Let's look at career pathing. Let's look at some skills you might need to develop to be able to be in a position where I can give you that promotion or we can give you that raise or we can give you more responsibility. Suddenly, we're in a conversation where our employees feel like their leaders have their best interest in mind. These are not difficult things to do. They require some time. They require some effort. But if you do them, the return on that investment is astronomical. Yeah, I so I really love this topic. This is one of my passions. And I've had this conversation a lot with folks in, let's say, my parents' generation and even my generation versus the younger generation. And I think there's been a paradigm shift where you know, we kind of grew up that, well, working nine to five, it was acceptable to hate your job, right? It's just part of life. You know, you go, you do that grind. Yeah. You know, my father worked in a factory. He probably hated almost every minute of his life and his career, but that's just what you did. He didn't quit. He stayed with it. Well, the younger generation, first time they have a bad week or a bad day, I have a million recruiters hitting me on LinkedIn. I'll just go somewhere else. So, I mean, what you said is very a uh, passionate subject. And how that kind of trickles down to unhappy employees lead to unhappy customers is just, I mean, it's just astronomical. So, Absolutely. I mean, the connection between those two has been proven time and time again by research in every industry. Unhappy employees leads to unhappy customers, which means more customers leave, which means you have less revenue, which means you need to cut back on the number of employees you have, which means you have to ask more of the employees who stay, which makes them more unhappy to be at work. That is just a vicious cycle that feeds on itself. I think what's really interesting when we think about this is, and I say this respectfully, because I don't think this is what you were saying, Todd, but lots of times I find myself in these conversations where people are like, oh, these millennials, these young people, they just expect so much different. Folks, they're holding up a mirror. They're holding up a mirror to all of us who are not millennials saying, have you actually sat down and evaluated your life choices? Have you actually looked at this idea that you are going to spend the majority of your day somewhere that you hate? The majority of your day, some are working for an organization you don't believe in. The majority of your day chasing a paycheck that that is the fulfillment. I'm sorry, friends. You never met anyone north of 70 who basically said, well, so glad I just worked for the money. 
<laughs> like that doesn't exist. We don't have that in our own context. And where I think we are at a pivotal time in human history, Todd, and this is the first time in human history that this has been possible. And it's been brought on and accelerated dramatically by the pandemic in the last two years. And that is this. For the first time in human history, you don't need to work for an employer who's within 25 miles of your house. With your dad's generation, with my dad's generation, all due respect, they couldn't work for a company that was five states away. They couldn't work for a company that was in another country. Now, granted, there were a small group of people that did that, maybe traveling salespeople, or if you had a job that was super specific, that they were willing to deal with the fact that you could fly in and fly out or do something like that, it was acceptable, or you were running an outpost of a larger organization. But it is now the case that pretty much anyone in your organization can work from home. And pretty much that home can be anywhere that has an internet connection. That is the criteria to be able to work now. And I think so many employers have realized this in the last two years, but more importantly, the employees have realized this. And the fact that the employees have realized this has the employee saying, why am I gonna go to work in a job that I hate, that requires me to be in the office, that is down the street, when I can get paid more, do currency arbitrage, because I can get paid by a bigger company, but still live in this small town, or better yet, move to a small town, or move to a part of country where the cost of living is less, do currency arbitrage, keep better hours, right? Because I'm going to be working virtually, so I don't have a commute anymore. Why wouldn't I do that? If your top talent lives within 30 miles of your headquarters, I'd encourage you to reevaluate your choices. Because I promise you, there are more talented people who live more than 30 miles away that if you were willing to let them work remotely, would be happy to come work for your organization. Something to think about. Yeah, absolutely. I want to make sure we have time to talk about your book because this is really cool stuff and we're going to put all the links in the show notes and so forth. But tell us why the first 100 days is so crucial. You know, Todd, the first 100 days are so crucial because all the research shows that regardless of industry, small, medium, or large business, online or offline, domestic or international, you sell a product, you sell a service. Somewhere between 20 and 70% of your new customers will decide to stop doing business with you before the 100-day anniversary. Let that number sink in. 20 to 70% will leave, will quit you in the first 100 days. The research also shows that if on day 101, that customer is thrilled, they're ecstatic, they feel really positive about the relationship, the typical customer will stay for three years. Now, I don't know about you, Todd. The listeners were maybe told there would be no math. So let me break this down. This is real simple. You sprint hard and you lay a foundation in the first three months, the first 100 days, and you get to ride the wave, the crest of that investment of time effort to lead to more revenues, more referrals, more opportunity over the next three years. The math on this is just too easy. What is staggering to me and what was shocking to me when I first did the research and found that this applied again across all industries was not that 20 to 70% leave. It's that the typical business has no idea what their percentage is and they have no idea how quickly these folks are leaving. As quickly as your organization is bringing them in the front door, 20 to 70% are running out the back door. If you plug that gap, if you stop that hemorrhaging, 
the impact on your business is incredible. But don't take my research for it. Research out of Harvard Business School, Stanford Business School, Bain & Company shows that a 5% improvement in customer retention results in a 25 to 100% increase in profits, not revenues, profits. Why? Because each additional dollar you get from a customer is more valuable than the first dollar. You've recouped your marketing costs. You've covered all your overhead expenses. You've learned their way of doing business. You become more effective. You become more efficient. And if we want more people to do referrals, which I've yet to meet a business anywhere in the world that has said, Joey, never mind. We're good on referrals. We don't want any new business. We're all set. No, everybody wants more referrals. People don't make referrals in the first 100 days. They make referrals after the first 100 days. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, but Joey, there was this one time I remember someone made a referral the second week and it was me. Yes, the reason you remember that is because it was so rare. That's why you remember it. Ask yourself, when was the last time you tried a new product or service and immediately decided to tell everyone in your network about it? Yeah, the, the reason you're struggling right now is because it's incredibly rare. Normally, we have to have a level of consistency, a level of experience, and then we're willing to make a referral. Your customers are the same way. We got to keep them if we want to get them to make referrals. We have our quote of the week. All right. So tell me about this quote. Okay. All right. Impeccable customer service can lead to undying loyalty. Did I get that right? Impeccable customer service can lead to undying loyalty. Absolutely. And I would say, I think it's worth exploring the words impeccable and exploring the words loyalty. First, let's go with impeccable. When I say that word, what immediately conjures up, I think, the image, and folks listening at home, decide what images come up for you. But what comes up for me is consistent. What comes up for me is the little things mattering. What comes up for me is reliable. In this day and age, if you are consistent, if you are reliable and you pay attention to the little things, you stand out. Most businesses don't. Most humans don't. If your business is impeccable, you will get loyalty. And what do I mean by loyalty? Loyalty doesn't mean we'll keep paying you money. Loyalty doesn't mean we'll never look askance somewhere else. Loyalty means that when the chips are down, they will double down with you. Loyalty means that you have built up enough deposits in the karmic bank account that when something does go wrong, oh, and by the way, something will go wrong with every customer. This is the nature of being a human being and being alive, right? There will be days that you just don't deliver the way you want to. There will be days where something outside of your control impacts the relationship. If you have loyalty, you can weather that storm. If you've made those deposits with impeccable experience and impeccable service leading up to that, you are ready because of the deposits you've made to cash in a little bit on those and say, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry, we made a terrible mistake. Here are the steps we're going to do to avoid it. What can we do to make it better for you? Your customer will be very forgiving if they're loyal. If we're not loyal, that's a separate conversation. So the question becomes not how are you trying to attain loyalty? To me, the question is, what are you doing to create loyalty? Yeah, I love that. So when I think of the word impeccable, like a Sherlock Holmes comes to mind of making sure that you've covered everything, turned over every rock, looked for every clue to make sure that nothing was missed in that experience. So that's great. You've kind of indirectly already answered this, but what's your take on customers being the business's largest asset and why does that sometimes get overlooked? 
anytime that someone wants to categorize a human being as an asset, I struggle with that. Okay, because I think what that does is it dehumanizes us. When we think of our customers as our biggest asset or our employees as our biggest asset, I'm not saying they're not valuable. I'm not saying they're the lifeblood of your organization, but I think putting the moniker of asset on it is a little bit problematic. What I'd rather see organizations say is without our customers, we don't exist. Without our employees, we don't exist. So what do we need to do to keep existing? We need to keep our customers. We need to keep our employees. So when we think about investing into the relationships and doubling down on our personal and emotional connections with the customers we serve, with the employees we serve, it opens up a possibility for a lot more value. Value in terms of the depth of relationships, value in terms of the connection, value in terms of the thing that gets us out of bed in the morning and makes us excited to go to work, value in terms of the dollars they spend with us, value in terms of the longevity of their time with us, all these different elements of value that allow us, by the way, to create the assets we want, right? Buy more stuff, have more money, have more security, have more of a, you know, a longer runway. I'd rather have us focus on spending time with those humans, our customers and our employees, to generate the kind of loyalty and connection and value that allows us to spin off things like assets and profits and revenue. All right. If you had a crystal ball, where does this whole space of customer experience, customer service, where where is this going in the next five or 10 years? Maybe as it equates to technology, but not necessarily. However you want to answer that is fine. Yeah, no, I appreciate that, Todd. Let me answer, if I may, broadly, and then I'll dive more specifically into the technology aspect. I think customer experience is the great differentiator today. I think when you do business with an organization, most organizations have access to the same raw materials. They have access to the same finished product. They have access to the same channels of distribution. They have, in many ways, access to the same employee base. What is different? How you feel when you do business with them? Do you feel taken care of? Do you feel that they're responsive? Do you feel that they're consistent? Do you feel that they're in your corner? How we make our customers feel is something that is very, very difficult to mimic, okay? What I mean by that is your competitors can beat you on price. I don't care what your price is, they can figure out a way to go underneath it. Now they may lose money and they may go out of business, but for a period of time, they can beat you on price. They can probably beat you on delivery schedule. They can probably beat you on the number of people they throw at a problem, the number of technology tools they throw at a problem. Where they can't beat you on, unless you let yourself be beat, is on how the customer feels when they interact. This is where we get to bring our personalities to business. So I think customer experience, the great differentiator of our time. How does this relate to technology? With each passing year, our customers are expecting a more seamless interaction. Many companies think that the way to reach seamlessness is through technology. And there are wonderful things that you can get around seamlessness with technology. But that's going to require a significant investment on your part, and you're really going to have to pay attention to your tech, and you're going to have to be putting the kind of investments into your tech on an annual basis that probably make you a little bit uncomfortable, but that's what the market requires. That being said, as we look at businesses doubling down into digital solutions, I think there's a huge opportunity not to forget the analog solution. Not to forget the old-fashioned way of connecting, 
I'm not saying to the exclusion of the digital or the technology solution. But what I am saying is, which is going to be more meaningful? An email from a business saying, Todd, thanks so much for your business. We appreciate you being a loyal customer. Keep paying your cable bill. Or a handwritten note from the CEO of the company that says, hey, Todd, we know you've been with us for four years. We know we don't always get things right, but we appreciate you always giving us a chance. We love having you as a customer. And here is my personal email address. If you need anything, you can message me. And what I promise is I will be back to you within 24 hours. Now, I got to imagine, Todd, that would blow your hair back. That would blow your mind if you got that kind of a message. That'd be very powerful. That is an analog solution in a digital era. Something to think about. Hmm. What advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? Oh, (laughs) you know, I'm going to be 50 here in a couple months. And so when I look back on 18, that's a good 32 years. So at this point, I will have lived an additional twice as long, right? At 18, where I am today, that's two more 18s stacked on top of each other. I think the advice that I would give my 18-year-old self is twofold. Number one, be adaptable. At 18, we often think, especially the males in the society, that we have all the answers. I promise you, you don't. What you do have is the ability to continue evolving, and that evolution gets harder as we get older. The idea of trying new things, the idea of exploring new thoughts, new beliefs, new attitudes, new ideas becomes more challenging the older we get because we become more sedentary and more fixed in our ways. I would tell that 18-year-old to bring that enthusiasm and that zest and that curiosity for life at 18, at 28. 38, 48, 58, 68, 78, 88, 98. Keep bringing that to the table and I think it will serve you well. The second thing I would tell my 18-year-old self is, I know you want it all now. And I know you want the answer now and you want the solution now and you want to live the lifestyle now. If it's worth it, it's worth investing in it over time. It will happen. But it's not going to happen as quickly as you want or if it does happen as quickly as you want, you really want to guard against that. Quick story. Years ago, I had the chance to watch what I think is one of the most incredible musicians in terms of talent of our time, John Mayer. Okay. John Mayer, absolutely fabulous guitar player, musician, singer, all of the above. And John Mayer, and you can go on and Google this, right? Find it on YouTube. John Mayer won a Grammy award very early on in his career. And his speech was quite powerful. And I was watching the Grammys live when I saw a speech. And I remember turning to the people with me at that time and saying, this is someone that's going to make it in the industry. We have lots of folks that flame out really early on, right? Huge success. Whether that's athletes, musicians, celebrities, fill in the blanks. They have a lot of success early on and they flame out. John Marion, his acceptance speech, and I'm paraphrasing, said something to the effect of, This came fast. This came too early. I promise you that I will continue working to earn this. And that commitment to a craft, that commitment to investing over time made me in that moment look at it and go, now this is a guy who gets it. This is a human who understands that this isn't about the short-term victory, 
This is about running the marathon. This is about getting to the ultimate finish line, which is have I made a difference? Have I contributed? Have I provided value? Have I had some things that I loved? Have I experienced some highs? Have I experienced some lows? Those things come with time. So I would want my 18-year-old self to just give it time. That's awesome. And I've heard him say that James Taylor was one of his role models. So I'm a huge fan. I'm dating myself a little bit. You and I are the same age, but um... (laughs) no, it's all good. No, James Taylor, another one. Talk about somebody who consistently delivers value again and again. I'm reading a great book right now that just came out by my friend, Ryan Holiday, and it's called Discipline is Destiny. And I'm about halfway through. And here's the premise of the book, as far as I can tell on the first half. The folks who are willing to put in the time and effort and be disciplined over time are the ones that achieve their destiny. It's not about how fast can I, we live in an era where it's all about, well, what have you done this quarter and who have you closed this week? And how many calls did you answer today? How many resolutions did you make, you know, in the last shift? I get it. And I think it's more interesting to think about how did this decade go? People grossly overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in a decade. Think about your life in decades. Think about what you're trying to accomplish professionally or personally in decades. And I promise you, the conversation starts to shift and it starts to shift dramatically. I think we have enough driving in our lives today to get us to focus on this week, this month, this quarter, even this year. What we don't have enough in our life today, at least in my personal opinion, is what's your goal for the decade? Are we moving towards that? Because when that becomes our time horizon, a bad week feels a lot more acceptable. A bad month feels like heck, a bad year is acceptable if our goal is 10 years, right? If our goal is 10 years, a bad year is 10% of the total impact. We can do a lot more with the other 90%. Are we giving ourselves the time to do it? All right. So we usually wrap the show with the guest gets to be the driver of the CX party bus. All right. So you're driving the bus. The question is, who are a few people that you want to go pick up to be on the CX party bus? It could be whoever you want, people you just want to hang out with, past, present, future. Gotcha. So to make sure I understand, these are folks that I think would contribute a lot to the customer experience conversation. And or just be great partiers. Oh, geez. I mean, if it's great partiers, dude, like, I mean, how about John Mayer and James Taylor, who we mentioned earlier in the conversation? Like, those would be great folks to have on the bus just to provide glorious entertainment. And I think would be wonderful to have a conversation with. A couple of CX folks that I think are really interesting to have in that conversation. My good friend, Jesse Cole, who's the owner of the Savannah Bananas. If you have spent any time on TikTok or Instagram in the last year, you've probably seen little video clips of the Savannah Bananas playing baseball. They are incredible. I've had the chance to go to two games. They are a sight to be seen. It's the circus where a baseball game happens to break out in the middle of the circus, right? For customer experience professionals everywhere, Jesse's an amazing person. He's got an amazing vision. Another one who I'm a huge fan of, Brittany Hodak. She is an absolute world-class thinker about super fans and how do you create super fans. Every time she talks, I learn something new. She is brilliant. Then you've got the OGs of customer experience, right? The Scott McCain's, the Shep Hikins of the world who have just been at this game for decades. They have forgotten more things than most CX professionals will ever learn. Those are folks I would want to have on the bus. My good partner, co-host, 
host of my podcast experience this, Dan Gingas. Dan is a brilliant guy when it comes to the digital experience. So as much as I might skew a little towards the analog experience, Dan ran digital experience and digital customer experience for a couple of small brands you might've heard of. Discover, as in the credit card, Humana, as in the healthcare company. Oh, and this little one, they're called McDonald's. You might've heard of them, McDonald's, right? So his understanding of the digital experience is absolutely incredible. Those are some folks that I would love to have on the bus. And if I got the chance, because I just spent some time hanging out with a bunch of them, let's throw in a bunch of performers from Cirque du Soleil. Because Cirque du Soleil, I think, is one of the most entertaining experiences that you can have on the planet right now for less than $100, $150 to go and see a show that will blow your mind as to what is possible on stage in terms of how it makes someone feel, the emotions they can conjure up, the experience they can give you. So I throw a bunch of Cirque du Soleil performers on the bus as well and just see what happened. That is awesome. I always love hearing the answers. And I actually just talked to Shep last week. So I love that. Oh, I love it. Perfect. One of him being the OG guys in the space is awesome. Well, let's just wrap up with Joey, tell us what you have going on. I know you mentioned you know, script for the next book. Tell us what's going on with you. We'll end with gratuitous plug. And then, you know, again, thank you so much for being here, Joey. Oh, you're very kind, Todd. I appreciate that. Well, let's do gratuitous plug that also is hopefully something that is a huge value for the listeners. I think customer experience is hugely valuable and important. And when I started to look at employee experience, because I see them as two sides of the same coin, you improve the customer experience, you improve the employee experience. If the employee experience is going down, the customer experience is going down, right? They, They rise or fall together. I am beyond excited for this next book because I think we have opportunities to create better lives for the planet when we focus on making organizations that take care of their employees. And I don't mean take care of your employees means you got to pay them more, although you got to pay them a living wage. And we have to have a conversation about what living wage means, okay? For most folks that throw around the phrase living wage, leaders, they need to be thinking of a bigger number, okay? They're usually using that as a, but you can live on this. Great CEO, you go live on that customer service call center, contact center rep salary for a month, and then come back to me and tell me if that's a living wage. Let's have that conversation. But I think where hopefully I can continue to provide some value is folks, if you go and you decide to pick up a copy of Never Lose an Employee Again, there's all kinds of ways to message me. If you buy it and the book's not out yet, the book's coming out next summer. If you buy it now, send me a message, Joey C, J-O-E-Y, the letter C, Joey C at joeycoleman.com. Let me know you purchased the book. I've got bonuses that are going to start coming out for the launch. And if you're one of the folks who replies sooner rather than later, we'll get you some bonuses right Right now, I think we can change the dial on the employee experience, which is going to change the dial on the customer experience, which means all boats rise together. And we hopefully have better experiences for everyone as employees, as customers, as consumers, and just as human beings living on this planet. Joey, that's awesome. We got to leave it there. We got to pay the sponsors and all that good stuff. I'm sure you know, but thank you so much for being here. This was really a great show. I'm sure our audience is going to love it and love to meet you in person someday. I'll get an autographed copy of that book. And thank you again. Have a great day. Thanks, Todd. And thanks to everybody who is listening. Hope you enjoyed the conversation between Todd and I as much as I enjoyed the conversation with you, Todd. Thank you for listening to Humans of CX, a podcast brought to you by OzoneTel. If you enjoyed today's show, visit OzoneTel.com to learn more about how our robust omni-channel communications platform makes it the industry leader within the customer experience space. 
You can find Humans of CX on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, as well as other platforms that are featuring podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Thank you so much for listening.